Join Ian Garner as we uncover the hidden marketing stories that shape our world. Reveal the latest marketing tactics that will shape your future and the amazing people that grow organizations, movements, and businesses. Learn to grow your business and shape the world around you. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show with Ian Garlic. And yes, it's Ian, not Ian. That's marketing too. All right. On this Garlic Marketing Show, I've got Will Harris from Element. Will, say hi. Hey. We're going to talk about how they use crypto and NFTs to actually, the ideas behind it to grow e-commerce stores, how increasing revenue can actually destroy profit margins in an e-commerce store, what happened when one of their clients left and why they came back and how they made it easy for them to do it. The two parts of profitability that they that you need to look at when you're getting started with ad campaigns, you know, how they optimize for profitability versus revenue, touch points and attribution and, and the whole discussion around that and figuring out which one's going to make you more money. And how they do holdout tests, Will's three favorite online advertising channels, and the perfect link for YouTube videos. All of that on this Garlic Marketing Show. But of course, before we get started, this is brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. If you want to land more referrals, make sure to get all your fish in the barrel through your video case stories. Uh, you want video case stories in multiple places. We've got a whole course on it. Go to VideoCaseStory.com slash big fish to learn how you can collect, craft, and deliver those video case stories for more referrals. All right, let's get started. And so William Will, Will I am. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I want to get into what you guys are doing at Element, yeah. what's working in YouTube ads right now, optimizing your profitability. But let's talk a little bit about your background because you have a pretty extensive background in, in all this stuff. Yeah. So, you know, uh, the at least Element in the, the core of what we do there, we're running advertising for e commerce merchants. Uh, we've helped 13 customers get acquired. Largest one sold for 800 million, just missed our unicorn. This close, really excited about that. Sold one of those to GoDaddy. And so, I mean, we've had a lot of really fun success looking at how do we optimize growth for companies. Prior to that, though, I was running growth at, you know, in, in, in-house at an e-commerce store. And then even before that, uh, at SaaS, VC-backed SaaS company. And so, you know, cut my teeth on the whole SaaS world. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we brought into the agency was a lot of the approach that the SaaS world does from a growth perspective, looking at CAC to LTV ratios and things like that, brought that into e-commerce, which I think a lot of people were missing that from a growth perspective. And I think that really allowed us to, to significantly scale a lot of businesses there. So really fun to kind of just see how like that transitioned into it. You know, as you did this and as you transitioned into this, how are you constantly adapting to the environment? How do you stay ahead of this? Because I mean, it's, it's, you know, that's one of the things about marketing. It's like, well, you got to learn, you got to test. But I think I feel like you also have to look outside of your group. How are you doing that? Yeah, I think that's a good question. We intentionally try to bring on a couple of things that are completely outside of what we normally do, right? Especially if somebody comes to us. And so there's uh, some of this comes into, let's say, passion projects. I'm, I'm really deep into crypto and I've been uh, investing in crypto since uh, 2014, 2015. So not the earliest adopter of it. Wish I was a little bit earlier than that still, but that was early enough as far as uh, a lot of people though too. Uh, but so, you know, looking at, okay, well, how are we, how are they approaching growth and what are we doing there? And there was actually a crypto project that I helped launch there. It was a DeFi decentralized finance project on Polygon. And we helped scale about 60 million in four days there. And so, you know, okay, well, what are the growth things we can learn from that, that we can bring into e-commerce and then, uh, and Shopify has got their own NFT setup now as well. 
Um, there's a VR company that I invested in uh, called Allegory. Uh, and so just seeing like how the VR world is approaching different things and completely new categories of advertising that are coming out, you know, 360 ads, which it's just not a thing that you typically have very often, but it's like, well, that's a very interesting thing as well. And so I think the biggest thing is just being able to find what are those other areas that you can reach out into. And if I was going to give one more other idea, the other uh, big thing is just making sure that you are working with really good clients and talking to really smart people there and, and being able to have those conversations instead of saying, well, that's outside of scope or something like that. By recognizing what is outside of scope, typically, that's where you get the opportunity to see, well, what's really on their mind. And so, you know, we might find out, well, sure, inventory way outside of our scope as an advertising agency. But because we were willing to have those conversations with our clients, one client said, hey, we've got these growth goals where we want to grow 200% this month. Um, and you know, you look at the inventory, it's like, well, you only ordered 50% more inventory. So unless you're raising your prices, you're not going to grow 200%. doesn't matter what we spend on ads. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that's a really interesting conversation because it it is inventory is directly correlated in any business, whether it's a service business or e-commerce business to ads. And people don't yeah. think about that. And it's like, well, you've got to be able to fulfill this stuff. And if you can't fulfill it and you're spending a ton of money on ads, well, then you're going to have unhappy customers and your profit margins are going to go down. And yeah, it's an interesting topic. We've talked about it before with the guys over at Fleber, you know, and, and really optimizing ads for growth. And it's, you know, it's, it's so many of these things that you have to think about. And as an agency, you really are more than just an advertising partner, aren't you? Absolutely. You you should be at least. You should be looking at, you know, about 40% of our customers actually send over their PL. We're looking at whether or not we've actually increased their EBITDA, their actual profit, as opposed to just top line revenue, because you can increase top line revenue and, and destroy profit margins, uh, or or you can decrease profit or top line revenue and increase the bottom line as well. And so there's a lot of ways that you can help people optimize uh, accounts that are going to be the best for that during that situation, whether that's, you know, shipping issues that are taking place because of COVID lockdowns or that's recessions taking place or whatever's going on in the environment, having that more uh, deeper knowledge of what's going on in the business allows us to be more intelligent about how we help brands. So I think that's fantastic. And it's, it's so important. I, I want to get into that profitability thing in a second, but let's step back. You know, I love stories. You know, you talked about a few like the unicorn and that top and top of your head. What is your favorite success story favorite is such a hard thing to say there's a couple of them that are just happened just recently that are exciting um and i try not to mention a lot of brand names because i don't necessarily always have like their permission to share those exact details but you know one of our clients they were just on the today show uh, a couple maybe about a week ago and you know it's it's fun it's one of those things where you see the chart and the chart goes like this this and then all of a sudden you've got this day that's you know 80 times better than even all the other days and it was really great for them but it's it's a combination. What's interesting, and and they understand this, that it's it's a combination of doing all of the right things leading up to that too, and, and sometimes even just getting on the Today Show as a result. Sometimes of the the awareness and the brand that you've built up over you know months or years of doing a lot of the right things. So, so that was fun. Uh, there was another one that was uh, really exciting too. There was a brand that so don't lose very many customers, but it happens to everybody, right? And, and uh, there was a consultant that came in. Uh, and said, oh, I think that, you know, this this agency, they're, they're doing great work, but they're they're too expensive. We're going to go to this other agency uh, and they're, you know, they're they're cheaper. And, and uh, that lasted for about two months. 
uh, and then they were back with us. Uh, and and you can see on the chart, here's, uh, so MER is our big number that we really like to look at for a lot of this, which is for those who are new to that term, uh, total revenue for your website uh, divided by the total ad spend. So it's kind of like ROAS, but it's not looking at just what's directly attributed in platforms. So it's a, it's a really nice uh, level set. But so you're looking at the MER and, and you can see the MER for them here with this other agency and they're, they're going along here. And then the day we took over, it's up here and it stayed up there, right? And so it's one of those things where you're looking at, okay, there was a very clear distinction in the day that we took back over the accounts. And, and I think that that's, that's one of my favorite wins because it's just that idea of somebody left, came back, uh, you know, amicable all the way through. Uh, we left on good terms when they left us. They came back on good terms and everybody found good wins. And, and that's exactly what I think that you should have uh, in, in this space. So that's probably my, my favorite recent win. And that's an interesting thing because I think in consultancy agency world, losing clients and bringing them back, it doesn't happen often. And I think you mentioned some subtle stuff in there. It's like the handoff keeping everything amicable, keeping it smooth and making, I think, making it easy for them to come back. Uh, How did you do that? So we have a policy. Uh, Anytime somebody leaves us, uh, even if they're leaving uh, in a way where, you know, it would be, you know, less than ideal for us uh, or whatever, we make sure that we get on a phone call with whoever is taking over as well. Make sure that they have all information that they need. Do they have all the access they need? We want them to be successful. We don't want our clients. And I've seen this happen a lot of times too, where, you know, it used to be where, and I've still seen this, where uh, agencies would own the ad account. Well, that's just a really dumb thing. Um, we like our clients to own their own ad accounts and mm-hmm. and that's their data and they should own that. And so we make sure that if there's anything that we have ownership of transferring that over, that they have that access. Uh, if there's, you know, thoughts or bullet points or things like that, that we've uh, put together on our roadmap of what we think, what we've discovered over the last, you know, couple of years working with them. It's like, hey, here's what we've tested. Here's what we've learned. Here's, uh, you know, what we would be doing if we were going to continue working with them and they could take it or leave it, right? They might look at that plan and and throw it up completely out the window and say, well, you know, that's why they're not with you anymore or whatever, right? And so they, they don't like that idea and that's fine, but we just believe that that's just the best way that you could do is to say, hey, how can we set you up for the most possible success and at least, uh, make sure that if there's anything that ever happened, it wasn't because we dropped the ball on handing it off to a new team. And how do you make it easy for them to come back? I think having conversations with people, making sure that, you know, as long as you're kind when they're leaving and understand that they're they're not making a personal choice. They're not saying, I don't like you as an individual. They're just simply saying, hey, we we think we can maybe save money or whatever. It's a very reasonable thing to understand. And, and a lot of people will try that. You can't blame them. I mean, we, we've probably done the same thing as, uh, you know, companies ourselves too. It's like, ah, oh, maybe I'll go try and see. Well, that didn't work out the way I wanted mm-hmm. it to. And so I think just recognizing that they're making business decisions and they're going to make mistakes in some of their decision-making as well. And so you know, being kind about that and having a good relationship and just checking back in with them and saying, hey, how are things going? You genuinely care and wanting to know. And they can see that you cared and wanted to know in the way that you handed off. And so, uh, you know, that I think that that's good. And so you reach back out and they say, actually, you know, uh, not not great. Uh, we we were down and there was another customer that we, we lost and they were only gone for a month before they came back. So we actually didn't get through the all the entire offboarding before they decided to come back with us. They were just <laughs> through the, the, the month of onboarding that they were doing with the other company decided, well, that's not the right company for us. And so, you know, and that company has been with us for, you know, four or five years, I think, or so now. And so I think a lot of that comes down to just, you know, building up that rapport with people from the, from the get-go and, and maintaining that. Yeah. And that's why great onboarding is so important too. Because it's like, yes. obviously, that other company left the, them because of the onboarding process. Yeah. That's phenomenal. And so, you know, tying it into profitability, how are you 
discovering and lining with their profit goals throughout that onboarding process. So there's there's two parts to the profitability that can happen. Um, one of these uh, would be, let's just say profitability at an aggregate level. Uh, and, and this would be if you're taking, you know, the total revenue minus the total COGS, minus the total overhead, minus the total agency fee, minus the total ad spend, all of that, right? And that's like your aggregate. And, and you can actually become a little bit less efficient potentially uh, from a percentage wise, but more profit dollars. And just to put this in simple terms uh, for anybody listening, let's say that, you know, uh, this happened to a company that we brought on where um, I want to say they were used to spending, uh, let's say, $800,000 a month uh, on ads. And, you know, they came to us and we were able to spend another $200,000 uh, that month for them. And, and, and I'm, let's say that their agency fee was $10,000 before, but, you know, you bill based on a percentage of ad spend. And so with us, it ended up being, you know, $15,000 and so more for the agency fee. And, I can remember the, the the marketing team sending us an email saying, oh man, that's, I'm going to get in trouble for that. Like that's, you know, more than we are used to paying our agency. And, and this is the first invoice that we sent them. And I said, well, wait a minute though. You know, we were able to spend this much more. You made this much more. So top line minus the COGS, minus the agency fee, minus the ad spend, minus your overhead, your profit was uh, $800,000 more month over month. Is it worth, <laughs> you know, the extra $5,000 for us to manage that? And it's like, well, yeah, when you put it that way. And and so I think what we've found is that it's best for us to have conversations with the finance team as well. And so if we're getting into a new relationship, we want to make sure, well, who is the one that's in charge of finances? How can we make sure that we're lining up with what they're doing and that they understand our thought process around how we're going to be scaling as well and what that might look like? And, and I think that that's made a big deal. So that's the, the aggregate side. Um, but then you've got the unit profit. Uh, and if you're looking at unit economics, you're saying like, you know, each individual unit that you're selling or each individual order uh, that you're selling, let's say, um, it, it may be that you're optimizing all of your ads towards a capturing a sale of one particular product. And, and maybe that product has a higher average order value, a higher AOV, but the profit margin on it is not as high. Uh, and in turn, we could actually maybe uh, switch up the advertising to advertise products that are more profitable for you instead you might end up with a little bit lower top line revenue, but twice the bottom line from that or, or something like that, right? That's an extreme example. But the idea being that uh, top line isn't always directly correlated with bottom line. And so there can be ways where we can optimize what you're advertising and, and uh, make sure that we're maximizing the profitability on each order, uh, thereby giving you a bigger bottom line without it necessarily impacting the top line. Top line could come down, it could go up, it could stay the same, doesn't matter. The idea is just optimizing the bottom line. Yeah, and optimizing for the bottom line, you can't measure the impact of everything you're doing, especially when you're doing that large of campaigns. I mean, can you? You'd be surprised. You can measure a lot of it. You know, an example would be on, let's say, Google Ads. Uh, we can optimize very specifically around which products are showing up in different types of uh, campaigns and feeds. And we can know exactly what the margins on those are. So we, you know, would get like maybe a margin sheet from uh, a customer. And so we can look very specifically and say like, well, these particular products that have uh, this margin, uh, we, we advertise these 25% more and you got 50% more sales. And you see so you ended up with this much more bottom line as opposed to this, this, and this. There's a lot that you can actually do from a data perspective to showcase how you're impacting the bottom line in a pretty uh, substantial way. Uh, it's not everything is perfectly tied there. If we're looking at the aggregate level, you could say, well, 
Was that a result of the ads? Was that a result of the email campaigns? Was that a result of the influencers? Was that a result of uh, the Today Show, right? And so you can't always tie all of that. But if you can look at that, there's usually enough indicators to where you can start tying good correlations and associations from that. And the way that I like to look at a lot of that then at those levels would be uh, if you've got, well, okay, if it walks like a duck, talks like a duck, chances are it's a duck. Well, if you push this button and you get more bottom line and you push that button again and you get more bottom line and you push that button again and you get more bottom line and every time you push that button repeatedly, it continues to have the same effect, you can maybe start moving beyond just saying that it's correlated to saying it's causative. There's a higher likelihood of it now. I mean, and that, that's great to think about that way because, I mean, it's almost impossible to completely correlate every single touch point to a sale. I was just telling, talking to a, a group of attorneys about this and they're like, I'm like, this is, and I was talking to my team, I'm like, this is how we all think that people buy. It's like, they see something, they buy our thing this one way, they, right? That it's like, oh, they see it on TV, they pick up the phone, they buy it, or they see it, an ad, they click and buy it. And it's like, that is not how that happens in real life. And, you know, there was that Google data study where it came out with like the 500 touch points. How much of that are you factoring in? Like all those different touch points. Are you guys thinking about all those different touch points as a whole? So I think that that's where people get into part of the problem is they're trying to associate it to a directly correlated touch point as opposed to just seeing what happens when you push this button. And so, you know, if you're in a car and you push the gas pedal, the car moves forward. Now, uh, if you're going to say, well, what was the last touch uh, on, on that attribution or something? And I'm going to make this up on the fly here. So we'll see if I can come up with a good idea. But let's say that you did, you, you know, you push the gas pedal. Um, maybe, maybe, well, why did you push the gas pedal? So the last touch is you push the gas pedal. That's what ultimately made it. But why did you push the gas pedal? Well, maybe because you saw a bear running uh, in your rear view mirror and you're like, I better hit the gas pedal. Or maybe it was because your uh, wife was sitting in the car seat next in this in the seat next to you and said like you know baby we're gonna be late you know step on a gas or something like there's a lot of things that may have happened so other touch points that may have led to you know pushing the gas pedal and so you don't necessarily know which one of those are but you do know that uh, the gas pedal led towards the car moving forward if we do this from let's say a marketing perspective I don't care if it was 300 touch points or one touch point or any of that or even whether any of those are even click attributed well the idea here is if i say well let's spend money on this campaign within facebook did you get more money in your bank account let's do it again did you get more money in your bank account did you let's do it again did you get more money in your bank account if every time i hit this that effect <laughs> happens it doesn't matter whether that was the only touch point or whether that was one of 300 touch points the simple fact is that when i push this button here when i increase this campaign you get more of the end result that you want. Don't worry about whether it was, you know, one of 300 different touch points. And, and that's where, you know, if you want to get more scientific about it, you absolutely can. You just usually don't need to. And there are a lot of things that we do as an agency to get a lot deeper into it. But as a client, you're likely not going to have the level of data that we're looking at or the ways or the sophistication in that data and understanding how that works. And so you just have to get to the idea of, well, hey, every time, this agency does this, this is what happens. Now that's not true for every agency and every campaign. And so you might say every time the agency spends more, I don't get more money. And then you say, well, that's also causative then potentially too. And you say, that's not working. I mean, it's, it's a big question that I think is being sold that the idea that you have out there is this ultimate attribution thing. And it's just, it's, you know, that you can perfectly trace the path. And it's like, oh, that person came from that video. And, uh, or that person came from, you know, that ad and it just, 
it isn't there. But I love that idea. It's like, let's find the button that works and keep pressing the button, even if it, it, plink, it plinkos around, right? Yeah, um, and if you have a big enough budget, you can do a holdout test. So this is one of the, the, the my, one of my favorite ways to do this, where you say, okay, let's run those ads in these 40 states and let's not run it in these 10 states or something like that. That's just an example of it. Now you have to set this up correctly. You can pick the wrong states and that's gonna ruin your test. You gotta understand at least how to appropriately pick a control group and a, and a test group. But in, in the theory then you'd say, well, if you run the ads in these states, uh, and let's say the ones that don't receive the ads, they they stay flat month over month. And the ones that do receive the ads, they go up 50%. There's a pretty good chance that, you know, it was the ads that had something to do with it. Even if they were not attributed, if, if there's no clicks, let's just even say, even if these were billboard ads and there was no click and there was no way for you to attribute this, you're saying, well, it was probably the billboards that we put up. And that's the same concept here where you can use that as a way to understand whether there's incrementality or not to something. And it's a very, very good way, but it typically takes a smart way to set this up, to study it over a period of time in order for you to know whether the results are uh, legitimate or not. You don't always have to do that. You can also just hit the gas and see if the car moves forward. I mean, that's a great analogy. It's like, is the car moving forward? Because it's amazing to me. You know, I talk to clients that are like, well, I'm like, how's business? So I like, get better than ever. I'm like, but I'm not sure if it's working. I'm like, <laughs> sure. like, you know, your business is better than ever. Let, let's let's assume it's working. And so, you know, talking about what's working, what are some of the, your favorite channels right now? It's, you know, 2023 Q3 or Q, Q1 to Q2, we just started May. What are your two, three favorite channels right now? Three favorite channels are, are probably going to be uh, Facebook and Instagram. Uh, combine them because they're combined from uh, an ads platform standpoint, TikTok and YouTube. And I'll touch base on each one of those a little bit. Um, the reason why I still love Facebook and Instagram, it is for how unstable it might seem like the platform is, especially if you were seeing the Facebook spend debacle that took place uh, last week or so, <clears throat> depending on when this airs, you know, it, it, there was a big spend debacle that happened where, you know, it overspent a lot of people's budgets within, you know, the first couple hours of the day. Um, there are things like that that happen. That happens on a lot of other uh, channels as well, or at least other issues. But as far as stability of just ongoing, you get typically the best results from any paid social campaign uh, from uh, Facebook. And one of the reasons why is because it's almost like people are willing to click away from the platform a little bit more than they would be on some other platforms. Uh, TikTok, you're kind of scrolling. You want to mindlessly scroll. You're not necessarily looking to, to, to click over. Um, and so Facebook just tends to be one that does a really great job of driving incremental results. And so uh, it, it seems to be a very stable platform as far as if it worked last month, it continues to work and it continues to work and it continues to work. TikTok, one of the things that's really great about it is it has massive virality potential. Facebook, there's very few that I feel like anything goes you know, really viral on there uh, as much anymore. But TikTok, if you hit it right, you can hit it very well. And it just takes off like a rocket ship. And that's a lot of fun. It's a little bit harder to make content for TikTok. So I think a lot of brands struggle there because it is very different. And what works on a as a Facebook ad just won't work as a, as a TikTok ad. Vice versa is true, though. If it works really well as a TikTok ad, it will almost always work very well as a Facebook ad. So I think TikTok really up there. And then uh, YouTube, this is one that I think still gets underutilized by a lot of people. And I think that's because they approach it with the wrong content. Uh, there's a lot of things that you see that are, you know, 15 second commercials. That's fine. If you're doing just, you know, an actual commercial, but you have the opportunity where people are, are captivated. They came here to watch a video. They're not even scrolling. They came here to watch a video and they came here to watch a long form video. That's changing a little bit with YouTube shorts, but a lot of times they are coming here to watch some long form content. 
Um, and some of our best performing ads that we've run for brands can be five minutes, nine minutes. I think we have one that's nine minutes long. And I think a part of that is the mindset of who's there. They're willing to watch something, especially if this is engaging to them. And I'm going to, you know, give an example of, let's say it's a, let's say it's a new iPhone lens or something. Well, you know, I might want to see nine minutes of you using that lens and showcasing it and showing how you use this and how you set that shot up. And it's like, oh, this is really interesting. I got to get this lens um, versus just a 15 second, you know, quick spot. And you're like, that was great, but I'm moving on to the video that I wanted to watch. Whereas otherwise, you know, you may have captured me very well though. I agree. I mean, I think that's where people don't understand YouTube is because they try and teach, make it like TV. And they're like, oh, it's like TV and I put commercials. I'm like, no, people are going there to learn as well as be entertained and google knows what they want to learn and you've yeah. got all google's data for seeing you know showing what they're going to see on youtube and if you're there if you were just learning the thing and all of a sudden you find another video like you said a lens video it can be super powerful and people can watch nine ten minutes of it but you got to format it well and and uh and make it really powerful and yep. so when you're going into this blend of different video channels. How are you deciding which videos to make where and what type of content? Yeah, that's a good question. So a lot of this is gonna come down to, let's say some, some market research as far as uh, where are your customers typically at and, and how good of an access do we have to reaching uh, your customers? There are some, let's say segments that we can't reach on Facebook or TikTok, or at least like from a targeting perspective, we can't do as well as what we could do on YouTube. So YouTube might be where we're going to lean a little bit more towards. Uh, that might be different for some of them where, you know, TikTok is going to have a better opportunity for us to reach who we're trying to reach. And um, so a lot of that comes down to who are we trying to reach and, and what's the best opportunity for reaching them. The other part, though, comes down to what kind of results and indication do we have so far? Uh, it may be that Facebook is dominating for a particular brand because they just haven't made content for TikTok or YouTube. And so um, if we see that there's still scale potential on a particular channel, um, there is, let's say, there's lost performance that I think doesn't get talked about enough if you try to scale into too many other channels when you actually have uh, a lot of opportunity on a channel that you're already on just for now. So let's say that you're you're on Facebook and you haven't even remotely tapped the, the potential there, scale that first. The next best dollar spent is going to be there versus testing into a new channel, right? Uh, because you, 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 it's working, you know it's working, you can just put another dollar at it and you're going to get a really good performance from it. But when you start reaching those plateaus, this is where it gets uh, more interesting to test out one of those other channels. And you say, okay, okay, we're doing really well on Facebook. We want to test out another channel. Now you figure out which one do we uh, feel like we have the most potential from a customer standpoint and or which one do we feel that we have a better potential at creating the right content for? And this might just be as simple as you saying, I consume a lot of YouTube content. I have a YouTube creator. And so we know how to make this content. We'll start there. TikTok might be the next best channel for you, but if you don't have somebody that can make the content for you and you're just trying to learn that out, you're, you're not going to do well, but maybe you already have a YouTube channel and you've really figured out a lot of YouTube stuff. Well, that's your next best channel to start. Or maybe you've got somebody who's crushing it on TikTok organically for you and say, okay, we've got some really good organic stuff. Let's go here. We don't know about how, how to produce, you know, YouTube content or anything. Well, then start there. Awesome. I mean, that, that's great advice. And then, you know, once you do put these out there, coming back to that profitability, you know, how long do you wait and say, okay, this ad's working, or I'm, I need to switch this ad around, or we just need to abandon the channel? How long are you waiting for that profitability to happen? 
So a couple of ways that we like to look at this. One is um, there are quick tests, especially let's say that we have some initial results to where we already know. Uh, when we're testing out new creative, uh, there's short tests that you can run to see if there's even anything worth testing further. Um, and this could be where you're doing just like a, a basic reach campaign or something along those lines. Uh, if you drop a new uh, ad in, are people engaging with it at all? Uh, and you can usually assess that fairly quickly to find out that yes, uh, they are engaging. Yes, it's driving clicks. You can look at you know these top of funnel metrics and say, yeah, it's, it's doing something good here. Well, let's let it run a little bit longer and let's see what happens at the bottom of funnel. Ultimately, the goal is to find out, is it impacting the bottom of funnel? And I'll give an example on why that is so important. Um, we had uh, some ads that were made by some influencers uh, that were just crushing it in terms of driving clicks to the website for a particular brand. It was very interesting. Um, they were not resulting in as many purchases from the website, though. Way more traffic. Uh, but when you looked at like the actual cost per purchase as a result of that, uh, it, it wasn't hitting the mark. And you look a little bit deeper and you actually would, we, we could find out that they were also were not generating as much engagement on platform either. And so it's like, well, it's, it's hitting one metric, but it's not hitting another. And that's where, you know, you can run these short tests at first to see if there's even anything worth testing further with that. If, if you run it and it gets no engagement, no clicks, then it's going to have a really hard time for, you know, creating purchases as well. Uh, but then once you find something that is getting an engaged, some engagement and getting clicks, uh, then you got to run that a little bit longer to see, is it having the intended bottom of funnel result that you want as well? Um, and it very well may be the case that it doesn't. If you want to a little bit further, and we do run these tests, then, you know, maybe quarterly, which is what's the long-term effect of this? One ad might be particularly better at driving immediate purchases, but it drives purchases from people who are not likely to stick, stick around and repeat purchases much. Whereas another ad might have a little bit higher CPA uh, from at the outset, but it drives a purchase from somebody who is likely a stickier customer. Well, if you write that off too early, you might miss out on those real bottom of funnel uh, data by looking at you know the LTV or something like that. So there's there's a lot of levels to this from a testing perspective, which it, but it starts with run some short tests, see if there's anything worthwhile, then extend that test, make sure that it still validates at the extended length, then continue to extend that test at a little bit longer. Does it still validate there? A lot of times you don't run that in a separate campaign anymore. Now it's just running within the you know the main primary campaign, and you're just going to look at that over a longer period of time. Just don't stop, st don't stop evaluating it, I guess is the point. Gotcha. Yeah. No, I mean, it makes complete sense. I mean, always be testing. I mean, because the market's shifting, the platform's shifting, everything yeah. is shifting constantly. It's like, <laughs> which is great. You can, you can keep on testing and look at it as an opportunity. Now, obviously, I mean, you're talking about large budgets here. And, you know, when should e-commerce company Hire, hire an outside agency. I think like, especially like hiring someone like yourself where you're seeing multiple campaigns, you, no one's gonna be able to beat that in-house. But when should you hire, and you know, once you hire in-house, once you hire an outside agency, when, how does that, how do you see that growing? Especially since you've worked with so many companies. Yeah, I obviously have a bias towards this because I run a boutique agency. Um, that said, I never worked at an agency prior to starting this. I was in-house. Um, and so I've, I've seen that as well. And, and like, I didn't mm -hmm. come from agency and say agency is life. I, I came from in-house okay. and said, there's an opportunity for an agency that can help people out. And so I would say that uh, not every agency is created equal. And I think that we've all all experienced that as well. And, and we've all had those horror stories and, and, and things as, as well. So 
uh, let's say in an ideal world, though, uh, I believe that uh, to get initial traction for most businesses, you, you almost I, I really like when this is, you know, gritty, founder driven, something along those lines. You almost can't replace that. Uh, a lot of agencies are going to struggle with doing the same thing unless you have a really big budget to a point where you can work with a really great agency from the get go and you're producing all the right content. It's, it's going to be hard for you to find that profitability. And so if you're VC funded, absolutely like you can bring in a really great agency. Uh, once you have some product market fit and that's been established, then I typically would say agency makes the most sense to me, or let's say, let's say freelancer, um, where you have the ability to start outsourcing and it's not founder driven anymore. You've got some really great freelancers. Um, they're going to be nimble. They're going to be aggressive. And there's a lot of pros to working with some good freelancers. When you get to a point where you need to have a little bit better holistic understanding of what's working, what's not working and how those are working across channels. This is where I find a lot of breakdown with the freelancer model. Um, you've got, you know, this rock star on your paid social, this other rock star on your paid Google, they're not communicating. They're not on the same page. They don't understand the language. And so let's say Google shuts off some of the non-brand keywords because they had too low of a ROAS for what they were doing. Well, all of a sudden the Facebook campaigns don't do as well because they didn't have, they were used to having the, the, the traffic, you know, this qualified traffic from these non-brand keywords. And so Facebook says, I don't know what happened. We didn't change anything. Well, <laughs> what happened was completely outside of them, right? And so I think that that's when you start getting to the point where you need that sophisticated layer of a, a really thoughtful, intelligent agency that can come in and understand how all of those pieces are fitting together uh, across the different channels, as well as within your business from a profitability standpoint. I think that's the ideal model. Now, when do you switch to in-house? That's a tricky question. For a lot of brands, I see that being a play for, um, let's say, uh, their their thought behind it is profitability because they'll say, well, the cost of the agency, I can hire these people to do that. And I think that that works really well for, let's say, a short period of time. Um, but what happens is, uh, to your point, they're not seeing as many campaigns and so they lose the ability to learn on some other stuff in real world applications. And so... Oftentimes, I think that that can catch up to them uh, at some point in time. And so what you gained in profitability, now you lose in scalability and therefore profitability uh, in turn, if that makes sense. But that's not always oh, the yeah, case. That that's sense. that's my biased, uh, obviously, uh, approach or thought process around it. Yeah, well, I was just thinking about this today because, you know, I do some fractional CMO work and I can't imagine, you know, because you, if you're a full-time CMO, I think that's great. But a full-time agency... You know, you, you've got all these people not only bogged down in, in just these single ad sets, but they're also bogged down in all the other parts of the business where they need to really be getting a feel for the, the, what's going on in these ads across different opportunities. And it's it's a tough thing. I just can't imagine it. I can't. So the data, I can only imagine like the different levels of data that you see across different campaigns. Well, and I think that you bring up a good point. Um, sometimes when I think of agency, I think of our agency, and I, I forget that there are agencies that are not like ours. And, and to your point, I do know that one of the things we've run into is a lot of people will say, well, they just come in with like this, you know, uh, templated script, basically, that they run for every single person, regardless of what their what their business is or anything. Well, that's not going to be that's not going to be as no. effective or impactful either. And so I'd say, when I'm talking about this, I'm talking about agency and the idea of almost like what the definition means it's like a group of people coming together kind of thing like an agency like and we're working together mm -hmm. so i'd say like these are these are you know dedicated consultants that are working together in a unified fashion as opposed to disparate uh 
consultants that are working outside of things. So, you know, if you get your Google guide and your Facebook guide, it's like, well, this is the idea of like bringing those smart people into this one roof where they're all looking at the same things in the same way, as opposed to like this agency that is just, you know, hey, here's our template, set it, get it and run it. Yeah, I don't think, I think also like at that point, if it's a template, like everything's templated, I think that you can have a framework, but if it's templated, it's, you really can't call yourself even an agency by the definition. It's just like, hey, we're, you know, prioritized marketing service. You're a SaaS company that just hasn't turned your, your, your people into software, right? Like that's that's not ideal. Exactly. I think that's a great definition and, and way to recognize that. And I just like people to know that because I see so many times and I have people come to me and they're like, I want to hire this person, this person, this person, this person. Like, you're going to have a tough time finding all those people and then A, finding them, B, managing them, and C, keeping them trained well. And it's like, right. oh, I hired this one person who's going to run my Facebook and Google ads. And I'm like, I'm like, yeah. those are two different things. And, and uh, you know, two very different things, different content, different intent. But I mean, if they have a framework, that, that works really, really well. But, uh, you know, the, the big Absolutely. agencies, the good agencies I know, it's two different people. Yeah, it's super interesting. And, and so, I mean, this has been great. Uh, it was great. You know, this is great information. Let's talk a little bit about working with you. Who's the perfect yeah. client for you? Yeah, uh, our ideal client is going to be somebody that is uh, on Shopify, uh, typically Shopify Plus. They're spending maybe $100,000 a month on ads. Uh, that's when we find, you know, they've already got product market fit. And that's when we find that there's a lot of opportunity for us to come in and overhaul what they're doing and do it in a, in a more intelligent way. Um, we especially like clients that have big catalogs. because I mean, We talked about the margin-based bidding. There's a lot that we can do to improve things with that. Um, and and typically we would say you know people that we think uh, we we only like people that have uh, recurring revenue type models where it's, if you've got one product and it's like you purchase it and it's done it's not it's not as fun or as exciting to us from a growth standpoint we really like the ones that have you know an opportunity for LTV plays as well. Awesome, yeah. So I uh, and then talking about how getting started with you, what's that look like? Yeah, getting started with us. I mean, uh, typically we're going to do uh, an audit where we're going to look at your ads account. We're going to want to meet with you and and find out a lot of those questions we were talking about. You know, even on this show, as far as what what are your margins? Uh, how can we dig into a little bit more about what this would mean to you from a profitability standpoint, and how we can look at that? So when we're auditing your account, we're not just auditing it generically, but we're actually looking at. Wait a minute, this might look good in platform, but it's not as good for you from a business perspective. Um, and, and ideally meeting with your finance team as well and, and digging into that. Then we'd present that to you and say, here's what we would do if we were going to take over, take it or leave it. Uh, it doesn't matter to us. The idea here is um, a magician who shares their their magic trick is kind of the way I like to look at it. I, or or even, you know, like LeBron James, let's say, if he was going to show me how to dunk the basketball, which I will say uh, in my senior year in high school, I was doing 360 dunks, uh, did one in a game. So, I mean, I'm, I'm capable of dunk, I, but I can't dunk the way LeBron James does. I'm only six foot, right? Now, maybe not even six foot anymore. Now I'm 38. So I'm maybe five, 11 and a half. But the idea here is he could show me all he wants to show me about like how to do this, you know, amazing dunk or whatever. I'm not gonna be able to do it the way that he does it. And I think that that's kind of how we would look at it from, uh, you know, this perspective, we'll share our secrets. We don't have secret sauces or anything like that. We'll, we'll share exactly what we're looking at doing. Um, and ideally, you'd look at that and say, well, okay, that's that's the approach that we want to take. And if that is the approach, then let's do it. If it's not the approach, then let's not do it because it won't be a very fun relationship for either of us. Awesome. So we'll put a link to Element in the show notes. Where's the best place to follow you? 
Yeah, I'm typically spending the most of my time on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. So LinkedIn is just uh, William Harris. There's a whole bunch of us. But if you look at, you know, LinkedIn slash what is it uh, slash in slash W-M-H-A-R-R-I-S. Uh, and then Twitter is W-M-H-A-R-R-I-S 101. So William Harris 101. Really started to get into TikTok a lot more though too. A lot of fun there on TikTok. So if people want to follow me there, still William Harris 101 as well there too. Awesome. We'll put a link to all that in the show notes. Well, Will, thank you so much for being on the Garlic Marketing Show. I really appreciate it. I really appreciate you having me here. It's been a lot of fun. And, and uh, thank you all for taking Will and I and your journey to Nine Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. Video, you know it'll make you an authority. You know it will get you more leads, better leads that close faster and spend more with you. And video stories will help you be remembered and connect with those perfect clients. The problem is, where do you start? Storycruise.com is the place to go. It's like a film crew with an S. What's your strategy? Do you do it yourself? Do you hire a videographer? An agency? Do you need an editor? How do you know if they really know your business and how to make videos for business that work? The answer to all of this and more can be found at storycruise.com. It is the place to find the latest video marketing strategies, the best gear for your business, as well as videographers, editors, and agencies near you that are trained in video storytelling for business. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get special insider info for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show, including special access to several of my courses, including my case story course. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get a whole bunch of special offers just for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show. Whether you're looking for a videographer or to do it yourself, go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get started today. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook.